what the world needs to is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's really not too much of. The world needs to is love, sweet love. Yes, yes. It's a great song. That is such a good song. And it's got wonderful words. So I'm thinking about it. I, sweet probably wouldn't quite get there. Sweet love. We need more than sweet love. We need what Bob said, powerful love. And agape is powerful love. I went to bed... Uh, couple of weeks ago and I was feeling happy and sad. Do you know that you can feel both? You can feel both. It's interesting often at funerals that there's laughter uh, during the reception time because people are sharing about this person and they want to laugh but they want to cry as well and I was feeling very grateful, very thankful. At the same time I was feeling sad at my lack of Christ-likeness. And I can't remember, I didn't, I didn't feel particularly guilty, I don't remember that, but I felt like in so many situations I did not respond to the situation in a Christ-like way. And so I went to bed thinking, I really want Christ-likeness, and for me that meant studying it. And I, I hoped that I would wake up the next morning with that still on my mind so that I could pursue that, and I did wake up with it on my mind, and so I wondered where I would turn to, and I turned to 1 Corinthians 13, because that's a, a picture of, of Christ-likeness, and so I uh, looked at it and uh, prayed it over, then I, I checked in with Bob, I said I'd like to preach on it. I'm preaching on it because I want, I want to be like Christ. I want to respond like this song, uh, this uh, beautiful song. In terms of love, it's probably the epitome of, of New Testament theology on love as well as 1 John. And so I want us to do a Bible study together. Uh, that's why I want everybody to have, have a, a Bible in front of you because I want you to see it and uh, it'll help you because I want to show you uh, a little bit how I study. So uh, open it up to 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, there are Bibles, yeah. Greg, you see that everybody gets a Bible. Raise your hand if you don't have a Bible right in front of you. Okay. So, context is important, right? And so you get a running start by looking at what's just before it and what's way before it. You know anything about Corinth? What do you know about Corinth? You know a lot about Corinth, of course. Yeah, say, what do you know about Corinth? Exports, 
You get those cussing sailors that he was talking about uh, in there. Yeah. Well, more more the the biblical that that works good. So so they're Christians now. Paul stayed long time in Corinth, and so he's got a a community that know the Lord. How would we describe them? Well, we look back in chapter one, and here's what he says about them. Verse seven. Therefore, you do not lack in any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. That's interesting, isn't it? Here are people, who, they're charismatic Corinthians. So we can think of them in that way. They know about the Holy Spirit. They know about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Would you say it's a mature congregation in terms of their life together in Christ? No. What's going on? What, what are the problems that they're experiencing? A lot of immorality, uh, the kind that you don't see in the world sometimes. I mean, they were overlooking things. What else? Division. They couldn't get along with each other. Paul said that they're worldly. And when you think of worldly, don't you often think of something that's immoral in a sexual sense? It, he's not talking about here in a sexual sense. He says, you're, you're, you're worldly. You can't even get along with each other. They're like toddlers who are just fighting all the time. And that's mine. And... And even when they went to communion, it, it was supposed to be a love feast. And they gouged down, wouldn't care about the other person. So, so in, in many different ways, they'd, they'd take each other to court, civil court. And Paul would say, can't you do this? Can't you agree with one another before you get to court? You're, you're ashamed of the body of Christ. And so the world's looking on and saying, we don't know what you got, but Whatever it is, we hope we don't catch it. And sometimes that happens with the church. The, the, the world looks on and sees the church and, and says, I don't want it. And so we want, we want to be so attractive, so compelling, that they can see it before they hear it. If they see it before they hear it, once they hear it, and those words are strong. So Paul is writing for two reasons. Because there is division. And Chloe had tipped him off and said there are problems here. Some think I'm Apollos, I'm of Paul, and the worst one, I'm of Christ. What's wrong with you? I'm on his team. And so he was, he was writing to correct the problems, and also he's writing to address the questions that they had asked in a letter. Turn back to chapter 7. So in chapter 7, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So now he's going to start addressing those matters. The one in chapter 7 was virginity and marriage. Chapter 8, food offered to idols. Then worship. Turn to chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12. What does the first verse begin with? Somebody say it out loud. Okay, so he's taking them up one at a time. So he's talking about spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 and chapter 14, there's more about spiritual gifts in those two chapters than any other place in the Bible. And what do we get in the middle? This is so important, the context of this discourse on spiritual gifts and answer to their question, we get the love chapter. Paul is not, hear me straight, pitting spiritual gifts against the fruit of the Spirit. 
I've read several commentaries on this, and some of them, what, what he really is saying is we want the fruit, we want, we want love, forget about the gift. Not even close. Understand? He is inviting us to see the only way in which the gifts function properly. That makes sense to you, doesn't it? So what's the, what's the line that introduces us to chapter 13? Somebody read it loud. No, before that, excuse me, I'm sorry. The, 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 this, the, the line just before that, Anna Rosa. Okay, mine it says, and I will show you the most excellent way. It's the, like, it could be translated the supreme way, and it's a supreme way to experience the gifts. So we're going to see three different, three different divisions as we look at this. Did I put my pen in my pocket? Do this? Yeah, I did. Okay, we have three different divisions, and I want you to help me get a title for each one. First, we're going to look at one through four, or one through three, and we're going to give a title to that, and we're going to talk about it. So, somebody read verses one through three. Anna Rose, I cut you off. You go ahead and, and do it. Okay, this is, the first, this is the first stanza in Paul's discourse on love. Look at it for a moment. I want you to see how many gifts that you can identify in those, in those short three verses. And I'll, I'll list them here as you shout them out. What are the gifts that he talks about here? Okay, tongues, prophecy, prophecy. Knowledge. yep, knowledge, gift. okay, the gift of faith, oh, okay, generosity or giving, that is, that is a gift, uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't see wisdom in there, to, uh, but maybe some... Okay, I'm, I'm looking at ones that are... Okay, we'll put it down. Why? What? Okay, there's one, there's, there's one more that, that could, uh, could be classified as a gift. Martyrdom. Uh, in some places it's cl classified as a gift. The Greek word for that... Anybody know? Yeah, martyr. It it, uh, it it means to bear witness, but but uh, you bear witness with your death. Okay, and so he's taking these to the to the extreme. If I prophesy in such a way that I know all mysteries and all knowledge, hey, that'd be that'd be pretty neat. What about if I give away everything I have? You know people who have done that? Yeah. We write books about these kind of people. The people that he's writing about in these first three verses are people that are heroes 
of the faith for what they have done. Let that settle in because he wants to make his point to these Corinthian charismatics and the charismatics in Minnesota. That if it, it doesn't matter how good you are prophetically, it doesn't matter how many healings are trailing behind you wherever you go, it does not matter. We had a guy that came to our church and spoke on deliverance. I still have the notes. He was a young guy, very gifted teacher. Bud Hahn said to me afterwards, and I didn't see this. I didn't have the discernment. But Bud said, if he doesn't come under authority, he's going to crash. He left his wife. He left his ministry. He left town. Crashed. Gifted teacher. Happened twice with two different people we brought to our church. Paul wants to get our attention here, and he's using hyperbole to do it. He's not exaggerating, but he's saying he's taking it to the ultimate, saying, I don't care if somebody gives it all away and lives the life of a monastic, lives a life that is so dedicated to the Lord. If love is not evidence, it's zero, it's zilch, it doesn't count. Get the message? Because this is the first set. So what are we going to call this? Verse 1 to 3. What are, we, what are we going to say? I've got my, I've got mine. I do this when I study on my own. I want to, I want to get it, and so I give it, give it a description for myself. Well, we'll take several different ones. What are you going to call it? Spiritual, spiritual gifts. Okay, I said I'd take several of them if you want to, spiritual gifts. What a, if I have not love, okay? If I have not love. Anything else? I like to outline things too because I want to get it. I want to understand it. I want to remember it. So now... He's going to transition, and he's going to say some things about love. Most, probably the most powerful description ever about love. And let me say something to you. What is the word patient? What, what, uh, what part of speech is the word patient in English? Adjective. Adjective. There are no adjectives in verse 4 to 7. There are 15 verbs. It reads like it's adjectives, but there are no adjectives. What is that saying to you? Mm -hmm. It's not, we're not talking about something that you feel, but something that you do. Love demonstrates patience. Love shows kindness. That's, that would be a correct translation as well. So we want to look at these in terms of action, and we'll take them one at a time, and then we'll just talk about them together. Love is patient. Raise your hand if God's developed patience in you, and you, you know it. Isn't that wonderful? Patience is so beautiful. When the, 
the, the word in the Greek is macrothumia. Thumia could be intensity or feeling or fire. Macro, you can hear it. It's, it's to the limit. It's distance. It's great. And it's, it's uh, translated that way. Love is long-suffering. You know the degree of your love as to the degree that you're willing to suffer for somebody. Wouldn't, don't you say, wouldn't you say that's true? That if you're willing to go to the limit and suffer with someone, that's macrothumia. That is truly love. Is that used in modern Greek, macrothumia? Okay. Okay. <coughs> yeah, yeah. So, some... You've heard this statement. If you do that one more time, the macro is running out. <laughs> the parent's macro is running out. It's been down to one more time. God has macro. He suffers long. It says in Judges chapter 6 or 10, and when he could bear it no longer, there was suffering in the heart of God. He was caring. He was suffering so much. We sometimes cause pain to another. That's sad. How much better to suffer for them than to cause pain? Jesus has macrothumia. Jesus has long suffering. And because Jesus has, you can because Jesus wants you to be like him. The Father, that's his highest goal for you, is that you be like Jesus. And if Jesus has got it, you can have it. It encourages me when I see Jesus. We studied gentleness, and I shared it in a sermon here a couple months ago. I was really convicted. I want to be more gentle, because Jesus is gentle. Jesus put a face on God, and it was a picture of a gentle God. Not an angry God, not a God who flies off the handle but gentle, and so I wanted to be gentle. And encourage me, Jesus said, come unto me, for I'm lowly and gentle in heart. Okay, Jesus, then you can make me gentle. If you lack patience, Jesus can make you patient. Love is patience. And then the second statement, love is, are you kind? Has God developed kindness so that you like being kind? Here's a question. Here's a tougher one. Jesus was telling us about his father. Literally, he was bragging about his father. He said, for God is kind to whom? To the wicked and the ungrateful. He's kind to them. If I were running the universe and someone didn't like me or didn't believe in me, I'd say, okay, no rain on your garden. <laughs> no sun on your field. Because I'd feel like, hey, that, that isn't right. They should be kind to me. But God doesn't think that way. He is kind to those who don't believe he exists. He is kind to those who curse him. I want to be that way, don't you? I want to be kind like God is kind. I want to be kind to the people who aren't kind to me. That's a stretch. But Jesus did it. He said, love your enemies, do good to those who persecute you and hate you. 
And so if he said it, we can do it. And by God's grace, we will do it. We will be kind to people that don't show kindness to us. What a wonderful thing. Right on. Wow. Right on. You can get even with people by forgiving them. <laughs> because it says it'll heap coals of fire on their head. Ha ha, got you there. <laughs> I don't know all what that means, but you, the Bible says you heap coals of fire, and it, it brings something. It brings something to their attention. If you've got coals of fire on your head, you know it. And it, I don't know what it does, if, it, if that means conviction but the best way to get even with them, huh? I heard somewhere that the coals were stored outside, like you had to go to get the coals, so they were very precious things. So we've always took it to be, because we hear it in Western ears, like, oh, if I dump the coals of fire on my head, it's a little, like, got to you. But it actually was one of those old Christian gifts, because you go to get those coals, they needed that fire for everything. So it was a supreme gift. Cool. It's something about love. We know that. Good. We'll take that. Thank you. Love is patient. Love is kind. Now, he switches to the negative, and he's got, oh, I know how many there are. You can count how many there are. Now, there are now a whole uh, series of negatives, what love is not. What's the first one? Do you envy others? Anybody here have a, have a problem with? envy. If we have a problem with envy, what, how do we overcome that? How do, we, how do we learn to want the other person to get more than we do? Boy, that's, a, that's a sacrificial life. Agape is other-centered, it's selfless, and it's the, got the mark of the cross of Jesus on it. And so if that's what agape is, and that's what comes to me, God loves me with agape love, John says, then that's what's stored up in me and ready to be released. I have a great potential for agape love, and so do you. And so you do not have to envy. You have the power within you. If you wanted the promotion and someone else gets it, if you want the degree and someone else gets it, if you want the advantage and someone else gives it, you have the power within you by the indwelling Holy Spirit, that spirit of love that Bob talked about. It's po being poured in. That's agape being poured in. I've got it in my tank. I've got a reservoir. I do not have to envy. I just want to stop here because I felt like somebody, some of you were ready to raise your hand and say, yeah, I, I deal with envy in my life. Bob, you said something earlier about, about uh, your experience in this passage. What did you do uh, when you were studying it once? When, when I was studying this one time, just before I opened up to it, the Holy Spirit led me to First John. It says, God is love. When I, when I got that, when I read this whole passage from that standpoint, instead of reading it, love is, love is not, I read God is, God is love. And then realized that, of course, Yes, yeah. 
That, I want to bring that to you as good news today. You don't have to envy. You do not have to envy. You can outdo one another in showing honor, as Paul directs us to do, rather than looking for that for yourself. And you say, well, that's a trip. That's a stretch. Of course it is. Otherwise, we don't need supernatural love to do it. Jesus said that as well. He said, if you pay back those who give, uh, I mean, if, if you expect back, the heathen can do that. <laughs> Big deal. We want to have a supernatural kind of love that takes us beyond what we can do in our home and strength. So I bless you that struggle with envy, that struggle with wanting to be someone you aren't, that wants to do something you haven't, that wants to be somewhere you aren't. I release you into a freedom, contentment someone once described, is not having what you want, but wanting what you have. In other words, I have, I have it, I'm content. Uh, if, I've, if I've got it, if I've got a bed, I, I'm content with that. If I've got a TV, I'm content with that. I, uh, I'm content. I, ha I have what God has granted me, and what he's granted me, I live with. Paul says if you have food and, and uh, shelter, let it, here we, we, we're good. We're, we're good, good to go with that. So the next negative, what is it? Not arrogant. And we'll take them one at a time. Arrogance suggests there's some deficiency in me, so I need to do something to overcome that, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be true assessment? There's something that I need. Uh, I, it's not enough what I, what I feel. I, I want you, I want to turn the conversation around to somehow get attention on, on me. I, I need what, what your words, even if it's flattery, I don't care if it's true. I want to get it. How about? If I did what we did this morning, I let God love me, and I get so built up. You can do that speaking in tongues too, by the way. I think you can. I think you can get cured of mental illness by speaking in tongues. Uh, I, I get so built up that now I don't need attention. I've got plenty. I'm, I've got plenty of encouragement. I can live today giving somebody else encouragement. Wouldn't that be wonderful? So, so I want to I make sure I've got enough in my tank so I don't come to you needy because I may miss that divine appointment that God's called me to. I don't want to miss it. You guys are praying for that. Some of you are experiencing divine appointments. Jesus had them all the time where he stopped to heal somebody, where he stopped to raise the dead, where he stopped to speak a word, where he stopped to correct the leaders. I want to live that life, don't you? Where you are, you are that minute man for Jesus, that instant. You're, you're in season, in, you're in and out of season. You're, you're there. You're ready to go. And if I'm filled up in the goodness of God, he's loving me, and I'm receiving his love, then when I bump into you, I'm ready to speak to you. I'm concentrating. I'm other-directed. Paul wrote about Timothy. He said, Timothy's worth you know. I was a servant of Jesus Christ. He, he, he was concerned about you. He said, that's not true for some of them. That's not true for all the leaders I know. But it's true for Timothy. He thinks about others. What a wonderful thing to be said. That person thinks about other people. You can tell it. Because when you, when you leave them, you feel built up. They just built you up. They thought about you. They were not thinking 
about themselves and trying to pull it out of you, but they were given to you because they already had more than they needed. What a wonderful way to live. Okay, it does not boast. It's not rude. Literally, it means to act in an unseemly manner. So it could be rude. It could be obnoxious. You think of people who are rude. That, yeah. Victim, pardon? Insensitive. Insensitive, yeah. Jesus wasn't rude. He just was never rude. He was truthful. How wonderful that Jesus never spoke a rude word. As a toddler, he didn't. Think about it. As a teenager, he didn't. I think he went to bed crying many nights because he suffered so much. Because he was bullied. He was... He was bullied as an adult. We knew that. We could see how he was bullied. He was bullied throughout his whole life because he lived a perfect life. I want to be that way. I don't want to be rude. Sometimes you're rude and you don't even know it and something goes away and, man, they're, they're going to remember that for the next 10 years. You didn't even know you did it, but you were insensitive. Jesus never. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus, would you help me? I don't want to be rude. I want to be sensitive like you were sensitive. Keep going. Yeah. When he goes on a whim or a punk, and he doesn't take a point to say, yes, I don't think. I mean, like, the Pharisees, there's several times where he goes, you hypocrites. I mean, he was calling out the power game, but just saying, you hypocrite, and he called the blame on separatists. He made a whip and drove him off twice out of the temple. The, and the guys he drove, drove out of the temple were probably thugs and gangsters, you know, with clubs under the table. They were money extorters, you know. They were, that was Tony Soprano's gang that he was driving out of. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't afraid of them. And when they came to get him in the garden, you know, he said, who are you looking for? Oh, you're looking for me? I'm right here. And they fell down. I'll take it. It's true. It's absolutely true. And, it, and that's hard if you have that kind of power to use it in a way that is tender with, the, with those who need it and that's powerful with those who abuse it. Yeah. And, and he did, he reminded his disciples that, uh, well, they're like, I think they knew he had this power and they're like, going to them once in a while, like, watch it, watch it. Yeah. Like, hey, I, I could have a legion of angels right here if I want. Yeah. Good. Right on. Right on. Yeah. I don't yeah. think that he was a 
Robin. Yeah. We're going to move now quickly through these. It is not self-seeking. Because of Jesus' death, you don't need to seek yourself. You can die to yourself. You can die. You can die in marriage. I realized in marriage that, that I, I, wanted to, I, I wanted to be my own person. And at some point, I realized that this was about dying. You can't go to Nebraska and to New Hampshire in the same vacation, so there's going to be some dying. I die daily. You die daily. I hope you die daily. I hope you die continually because it's not about you. I've told my kids, don't think it's about you because it isn't. It's about living for others. And that's a wonderful freedom. It's not self-seeking. You don't have to seek yourself. You don't have to go after yourself. It's not easily angered. I had a friend that said to me once, just so you know, Paul, it's almost impossible to offend me. What a wonderful thing to say. You don't have to walk in tiptoes around this person because you're not going to offend that person. They don't take up an offense. They're not ready to take up an offense and turn everything around to themselves. Not easily angered. I want to be that way, don't you? Jesus is that way. It's hard to offend Jesus because he's so kind, so strong, so secure. It keeps no record of wrongs. I want to say to you, you can throw away the scorecard. You can throw away. You don't have to keep score for, on yourself, and you don't have to keep score on your spouse. You don't have to keep score on your children. You don't have to keep score on anybody. Paul kept score for a while, and he had a pretty good score. But he threw away the scorecard. And he learned to live by grace. If you throw away the scorecard, you live by grace. What a wonderful way. Jesus lived in the favor of his Father. And he can give that to us today. He can, he can give that sense so that we don't have to be the, judge, the superior court judge of other people's lives. Jesus' love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. 
I don't want to rejoice at someone else's demise. I was talking on the phone, and someone said something about Mark Drisc Driscoll, and it sounded like they were, they were um, yeah, serves him right. I'm so sad about that, that sh church shutting down. I'm so sad, really sad, because he's a wonderful person. He's a godly person. I like when my wife, we talk about something. She says, I want to put the best construction on people all the time. I love that. Because that's what Jesus does. I want to be positive. I want to think positive. Because that's what love is. That's just not psychological. Love protects. It always protects. You feel it safe around someone who's a true lover. Love always trusts. Wow! Jesus always trusts me. He has reason not to trust me, but he always does. That gives me strength. I'm trusted by the God of heaven. He trusts me. He believes in me. He calls me. He gives me an assignment. And he believes that I'm going to carry it out. I'm trusted. I can trust you because I am trusted. Because God trusts in me. And he commits that to me. I want to trust in you. I want to trust in my children. I want to trust in my wife. I want to trust in people. Always hopes. We need hope. We need the anchor of hope because it's stormy out there. And God gives me hope. God, I can make it. I can do it. I don't have to throw in the towel. And I meet people all the time who are wanting to throw in the towel. When I was in Finland, as I was getting ready to preach, I just felt like God, God telling me to ask, how many of you have felt in the last two weeks like throwing in the towel? Nine pastors stood up. Some of them were crying by the time they got up to their feet. They wanted to, throw, they wanted to quit. Pastors are quitting all the time. It's hard. Hard to be a pastor. Don't you meet people that want to quit all the time? Then you want to have that kind of love. Love hopes all things. It always hopes. It always perseveres. We need perseverance. We need to help people. Don't quit the race. Stay in the race. You can make it. Love always. And then, uh, this, this just wraps it all up. Love never fails. If you don't know what to do, love will tell you. If you don't know what to do, try love. Because love never fails. And then he, he finishes up by saying, gifts are temporary and we'll travel to the new earth with love. So let's pray together. Sure. How do you think, how do you think Jesus got like that? And how did he get so loving? And it says in the scriptures that he learned, He was born without a sin nature. Right. He was born, the Holy Spirit conceived him, so he didn't have the sin nature. He was innocent, but he was not experienced. And so he needed to have experience. And as he had experience, he responded rightly in every situation. Right. He responded in deference to his father. And he knew something about that father by the time he was 12. I don't think he did when he was three, but something, it, it gradually dawned on him, I'm different. I have two fathers, my father in heaven. So there's something that it was progressive experience, progressive learning, and the father brought him through those, and he was being tested right up. He was tested as, as a 30-year-old. Your obedience and suffering, too. Yeah, yeah. So isn't that similar to what God, how God matures us mm -hmm. through? Mm -hmm. Tests. We're 
thing that I could still pull for me is as a parent, as a coach mm -hmm. of athletes, stepping back and looking at, you know, the kids that I'm trying to raise and the mm -hmm. athletes I'm trying to develop, using all extrinsic factors and use your, your to, to, to have the perspective, yeah. if you just have the perspective of where each of one is, each of us are attitudes of our character development, mm -hmm. of leadership development. So that's why he could yeah. see, yeah, that's why he could be patient. That's why he could be, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, he could, it's like you remove, you remove yourself emotionally from the situation that, you know. Yeah, subjective. Yeah, you can look at it. And that's what I feel as, as a mom and as a coach, we c I can be a lot more patient because I have the perspective. Mm -hmm. Subjective, yeah, you can be so yeah, much. Yeah. Good. Good. Thank you, Father, that you give us the mind of your son. I often pray that way. I want to think like Jesus. I want to speak the words of Jesus. I want to do the things of Jesus. And I can because I have that. He's given it to me. By God's grace, you guys are doing a good job. By God's grace, he is, he is working in you the very qualities of Jesus. And you're looking more and more like Jesus all the time. And receive that. Just receive. Today, receive it. Receive a sanctified outlook of yourself. Receive it, that you are being transformed from one degree to another. The Bible says you are. Receive that. Don't fight it. If God says he's pleased, then that's enough. He's pleased. He's working a good thing in you. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He's doing something good. He's causing you to look more and more like his son. More and more you are finding situations where, which are testing and difficult, that you're responding rightly. I think of my friend Doug, who just lost his wife in California, and he came to me once and he said, ah, I feel terrible, I just cussed out a guy on my mail route. I said, how would you have felt about that a few years ago? He said, I would have felt great. <laughs> I said, how do you feel now? I said, I feel terrible. I said, good, God's at work. Now you can repent of it and go on. Forget about it. It's not going to happen, because you know God, God's Holy Spirit spoke to you. He didn't club you. He just put something in your heart. Said, no, that's not who you are. See, when you're rude, that's not who you are. When you're envious, that's not who you are. I know who you are. You're like Jesus. So I'm going to pronounce a benediction, and we're going to uh, get in small groups. Take one, one or two things from this and share it with others especially on the positive side. As I was looking through this, I said, you know, I can, I can nail the whole crowd today by just talking about what they aren't and what love is. I could nail them, make them feel terrible about how bad they are and how needy they are and make them a little more sin conscious. I don't want to do that. I want you to know that God's at work within you and his Holy Spirit is stirring the righteousness of his very son inside of you so that you can respond today, this week, in a way that makes heaven glad. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be
gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.